Have you ever been forced to answer a question that you didn't necessarily want to even answer? Maybe somebody's asked you, hey, what do you think of my haircut? And you're like, uh, or what do you think of my cooking? And you're like, uh, I don't want to answer that. Uh, maybe you've had that moment where you're sitting at a pleasant meal with family or friends and then suddenly somebody asks you a question about a current aspect of politics. And you find yourself looking at your potatoes wondering, why do I even have to answer this question? Life is full of questions. It's a series of questions and a series of responses. And some of those questions we're actually excited about. We look at questions like, would you like to eat dinner? And we're like, yes, you know, or would you like to marry me? These are questions we're excited about, we anticipate. But there are other questions, more seriously, that cause great pain in our lives. Questions that we wish we didn't have to deal with, where somebody would say to us maybe, would you please just leave me alone? Would you please get out of my life? That's a pretty serious question. Or the question of which treatment op option would you like to take? You're sitting in the doctor's office and they're asking you, would you like to take this risky option or the more conservative one? Question after question after question comes our way in life. And some of these questions are insignificant, yet others of them are very significant. They're life-changing. Like the question of who is God? What do you believe about God? And so... That question in particular is actually very similar to a question that we're going to see raised in the passages of the Bible that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a particular day from history that we've got a lot of detail about from the Bible. This particular day is the Sunday before Jesus dies on the cross. Some people call this Palm Sunday and other people call it the triumphal entry. You'll understand why there are these different terms. This particular day in history we have a lot of detail about it's almost like the speed dial is, is slowed down and we all of a sudden can hone in and understand a lot of what happened on this particular day in history. And that's because all four of the accounts of, li of the life of Jesus, the Gospels, tell us about this moment. And so they act like layers, giving us greater depth and clarity on this particular moment of history. And so we're going to look at these passages. But before we do, we need to know that Jesus has just come off an incredible miracle. An incredible moment where people are just in awe and wonder of who he is. What he's done is he's just raised this guy back to life after being dead and decomposing for three days. Now, this has also happened just at a in critical moment right before one of the important holidays on the Jewish calendar. The most important holiday on the Jewish calendar, Passover. And so there's people coming in from all over the place to celebrate this, this special holiday. And they're all talking about this miracle and this Jesus guy and, and what's happening. There's these large crowds kind of gathering together. And so I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible and to read with me. We'll turn to John chapter 12. We'll be flipping around a little bit, but we'll be mostly parked in John 12. And as you're turning there, I would just let you know that we're going to start out from before Jesus goes from Bethany up to Jerusalem. They're not too far away from each other. And Bethany is the place where he's just late raised this guy Lazarus back to life. Okay, so we're going to read from verse 9 of chapter 12. And it says this, When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. So they're already planning to kill Jesus and they're like, well, let's kill Lazarus as well. Listen to this, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing, listen to that word, in Jesus. 
The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king, listen to that word, of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughters, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. Now, that last part might sound a little bit strange to you, but it's actually quoting an Old Testament passage. It's quoting from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And it's a, it's a prophecy that was made about 500 years earlier about a king riding on a donkey. And this is one of many, many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Now, to give us a little bit of a slightly broader perspective and picture of what's going on here, I'm going to ask you to flick over with me to Luke chapter 19. Now, just save your place in John 12 because we'll be back. But Luke 19, and we're going to go to verse 36 here. So Luke 19, 36 is where we're going to read. It says this, As he, Jesus, rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, so he's getting near to Jerusalem, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So we've got this moment of great celebration, but we also see here already that there's people wrestling with, who is this Jesus? We've got the Pharisees, we've got people praising him. Now to get an even clearer picture of what's going in, I'm going to ask you to turn back with me to John chapter 12. So John 12, and this time we're going to read verse 37. And then we'll jump a little bit further on. Now, we, what we need to know is that at this moment, Jesus has now arrived in Jerusalem. And it says here in verse 37 of John 12, Though he had done so many signs before them, they, that is some of the crowd, still did not believe in him. And it goes on and talks about some prophecies. And then if you jump down to verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. That's the religious assembly of the time. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There is a problem that is occurring in this moment. And the problem in this moment is that there's confusion around the question of who is Jesus? They're asking themselves, okay, is this guy a prophet? Is he, is he a gifted communicator and a leader? Or, or is he a con artist leading the people astray? Others are saying, no, 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 he's the Messiah. He's the king that's, that's promised. That's why some of them are saying, praise the king as, as they're going up. Others are probably whispering, no, this is God's son. So there's all this different chatter going on. Whether you wanted to or not, if you were in Jerusalem at this moment of history, you were forced to answer the question of who is Jesus? Matthew 21 makes that actually very clear. This is another account of the same day, and it says the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Amidst the confusion, we can gather that there were probably four general groups of response to this question of who is Jesus? The first group is those who said Jesus is someone that we need to reject. 
The second group are those who said, no, Jesus is someone to be conditionally believed. The third group is those who would say, no, Jesus is someone to be secretively believed. We just read about those. And then the fourth group is those who say, no, Jesus is someone to be fully believed, somebody to be embraced, somebody to be followed. The confusion about Jesus that existed in this moment historically also exists now. Who is Jesus is a question that demanded an answer, yes, then, but it also demands an answer now. And so I want to put it to you. What do you think about Jesus? Which of the four categories we just talked about do you fit into? I want to look at each one of these four categories with you in greater detail. And so firstly, are you like those in the first category? Are you rejecting Jesus? And if that's so, why is that? Is it out of a desire to just ignore him? I imagine there were people in Jerusalem at the time who were like, I don't know who this Jesus guy is, and, and I don't know if I really want to find out. It sounds kind of messy. There were others who were rejecting him because they flat out disagreed with him. They were like, this guy is claiming things. This guy is saying things that I do not agree with. It was out of a desire to just say, no, this is not right. The famous author and, and thinker C.S. Lewis said that when it comes to Jesus, we only have a few possible opinions that we can hold. One of the opinions that Lewis removes from the table is to say that Jesus never really existed. He said there's too much historical evidence for that. And so he leaves us with three plausible options on what we believe about Jesus. The first one, he says, is that Jesus is a liar, that he's a very great deceiver and his lies have been continued on throughout history here so that 2,000 years later, people are still believing these lies. The second option that he gives us is that Jesus was crazy. The word that Lewis uses to describe this is that he's a lunatic, as in he's completely out of his mind. The third option that Lewis gives us is to say that Jesus is actually exactly who he claimed to be. That is Lord. And so he gives us those three words. He says, is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? And so if you've been rejecting Jesus, I want to put that question to you. Was he crazy? Was he a con man? Or was he God, the King of Kings? There's a guy named Jordan Peterson who is a famous or infamous celebrity on YouTube, a very opinionated person. Uh, he's actually a, a professor of psychology, and he's been very outspoken about not being a Christian in the past. But in a recent interview, it seems like things may be changing. He was speaking in this interview about the world, and, and he's a very smart guy. He's talking about how the world is full of narrative story, but it's also very objective. And as he was talking about this, he said the ultimate example of this is supposed to be Christ. I'll read to you what he said, but I, I don't know what to do with that. It seems to me to be oddly plausible, but I still don't know what to make of it. Partly because, hear this, it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen if you fully believed it. What Peterson is expressing here is that once you take away the objections, you're left with the reality that Jesus was and is exactly who he claimed to be. And you really, in that moment, only have two options. That is to willfully reject him as Lord, or to, as Peterson put it, take the terrifying option of surrendering to him. Now, why is that so terrifying? It's because in the moment of true surrender, and belief in Jesus, 
what happens is that Jesus effectively, just as he rode into Jerusalem, rides into our hearts and, and claims rule and reign there. He sets up his rule inside of us. To believe that Jesus is Lord demands a complete change of all things. As the old hymn puts it, it demands my life, my all. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're like, well, I'm not rejecting Jesus. You would say, I do believe in Jesus. Well, if that's so, are you like one of those that are in the second category that we listed out earlier, who believed but only conditionally believed in Jesus? In this moment in Jerusalem's history and in the history that we're looking at here, there were those who believed in Jesus as long as he fit in to their plans. They were wanting a Messiah. They were wanting someone to come in and to rescue them from the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. They didn't like being told what to do by the Romans. They didn't like paying taxes to the Romans. We know this because later on they actually tried multiple revolutions. I'm convinced that there were people who thought that Jesus was coming in to rescue them from the Roman Empire. They looked at the Old Testament prophecies for a Messiah and a king and said, well, the king's obviously going to rescue us from the Romans. And so they joined in the crowd in this moment on Sunday saying, blessed is the king. But as the week went on and as they figured out, hey, this Jesus guy, he isn't here to to get rid of the Romans. They became part of the same crowd that on Friday, just a few short days later, were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. They were looking for a king to conquer Rome, not a king to conquer their hearts. And so it's kind of a pointed question, but is your faith fickle like theirs? Do you believe in Jesus only when it's convenient for you? And as soon as something happens in your life that God would allow that you don't like or agree with, are you going to abandon your beliefs? In the third category, there were those who wanted to believe, but were fearful of what that meant. Maybe that describes you. If you go back to John 12, 43, which we just read, it says, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory from God. These were the people who, when Jesus was arrested, they saw all that was going on. They probably watched him being uh, falsely accused and they watched him being beaten and murdered, but they were frozen in fear to say, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to be rejected by my, my culture around me. They were not willing to embrace all that it meant for Jesus to rule as king in their lives. Do you perhaps want to believe, but you're just not sure? You're afraid of the consequences. What will people think if you believe in this Jesus? We've been throwing around this word believe a lot. What is belief? If you dig into the the New Testament, you see this word popping up time and time again. It is used a lot. And if you look up a Bible dictionary on what it actually means, it says this. To believe is to put one's faith in, to trust, with an implication, hear this, that actions based on that trust may follow. What this is telling us is that belief is more than simply a, a, a thinking about something to say, I, I think about that and I agree with that. It's a, it's a belief that moves us into action. The best way of picturing this that I can think of is a number of years ago, many years ago, I was with a friend and we, we had traveled up to this beautiful spot that was on top of a sheer cliff. 
It was a, a tourist spot and they'd built this very safe metal rail right along the edge of this cliff and you could walk right up to that rail and look out over this beautiful view. But I noticed my friend was staying several meters back from the edge and I hadn't realized or appreciated to that point that he was afraid of heights. And if I'd asked him in that moment, hey, do you believe that this rail here is safe? He would have said yes, but that's not real belief. He would have mentally said, yes, I agree with that. But the truth is that if he believed it, he would have come up and stood there. That It would have compelled him into action. True belief compels us to action. It's a conviction that moves us to action. If that's what belief and true belief is, only one of the four categories that we've been talking about really believed in Jesus. It was the fourth category, the disciples, those who believed Jesus was, yes, this coming king, and they followed him. These were Jesus' most devoted allies. They were his people. But even these were people that ultimately scattered in the darkness of Friday morning. We know that on Sunday, they were there, yes, rejoicing and celebrating this moment of going up into Jerusalem. But just a few days later, in the darkness of that Friday morning, they scattered and Jesus was left abandoned with not even a single person steadfast by his side. As we think about this, what it reminds us is that even at our best, we, like the disciples, will fail to believe and follow Jesus as we should. Now, if I could take a moment here to just summate what we've said. We've kind of been saying, okay, you should believe, and, and when we say believe, really believe, believe in action in Jesus. But we've also said, but even if you do, like the disciples, you're going to fail. And I'm not going to end the sermon here. Now, if I was going to, that would be pretty horrible, right? It's pretty deflating to think about this. In fact, as we talk about this, hey, you should believe, but even when you try, you're going to fail. That, that kind of feels like a balloon being let down, like it, the air is going out of it. It's deflating. But that deflating thought actually isn't all bad. Because what's being deflated in that thought is our pride. It's the thought that our belief in Jesus is about us. Don't be worried that this message today here as we're thinking and considering Easter is just a deflating message. It's also simultaneously an inflating message. It's deflating because, yes, as we've said, it reminds us that our sins put Jesus on the cross and, and, and that it's a reminder that we will fail Jesus just like the disciples did, even on Friday morning. But it's also inflating because it's a reminder that Jesus loves us in spite of our failures. He loved us enough to die for us, even with our lack of faithfulness. It's a reminder that He, unlike us, is faithful. And so as you hear the message today, I hope that you feel this simultaneous deflation and inflation. One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, puts it very beautifully and poignantly when he says it like this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. What good news! 
Is your heart filled with joy and hope as you hear these words? Jesus came to rescue you from darkness. He came to rescue you from your failure. He came to rescue you from your unbelief. That is good news. And I'll tell you how I know this good news. It's because it's written all through the pages of this book, even right after what we've just read. In John 12, it talks about the unbelief of the people. That's what it's titled in this section. But if you go down to the very next section, in verse 46, let me read it to you, of John 12, it says this. This is Jesus crying out to the crowd and and really crying out to us. He says, I, Jesus, have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The question facing you right now, as we've read this, as we've thought about all these things, is to ask, is this true? Has Jesus come to save you from darkness? And as you ponder that question, and maybe even have answered that question, if it is true, how are you going to live? I don't want to be too prescriptive here or, or detailed. I want to really, I hope, in the next few moments, allow the Holy Spirit to bring some thoughts. As you consider how, yes, deflating it is that, yeah, you're broken and, and you will mess up and you'll stumble many times. But as you also reflect on God's grace and goodness to you throughout your life and throughout the years of your life, as you think about these things, that you would know how to respond There are some thoughts that I would just prompt you in. If all this is true, we should live surrendered lives to King Jesus. We should live joyful lives, thinking about how good God has been to us. We should live lives that proclaim this good news that we've heard and that we believe. But again, I want you to think about what it means for you if all of this is true. Easter is, yes, a deflating and inflating reminder It's a reminder that we are broken. But it's also a reminder that Jesus overcame our brokenness. Will you believe and live with King Jesus as Lord of your heart?